What's up, crew? It's Rafael Garcia back for episode 84 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is May 17th, Thursday, May 17th. As always, thank you for joining me today. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to listen to what I and Shawan have to say about the world of mixed martial arts. And, you know, sorry we missed you guys last week. We've been crazy busy. But as always, you know, we appreciate the support. As always, like and share our content. You can subscribe to our channel here on YouTube to catch all that we talk about here. You can check us out on MMARatings.net and also follow us at MMA Ratings, where you can find our content each and every day. Usually have new content for myself, Shawan, and uh, Adam Martin just about every day of the week. So be sure to catch us out there. And as always, thanks for everything that you guys do. So uh, there's a lot to kind of talk about today. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be watching uh, Beat the Streets at the same time. So if I'm going in and out, I apologize. But Jordan uh, Burroughs and Frank uh, Chimizo are wrestling tonight. And... That's that's this week's main event out of all to me out of all the combat sports lined up for this week these two guys going at it at Beat the Streets in New York City is the most important thing on my radar tonight but each and every day you know um, there's something going on in the world of MMA so we got a lot to talk about we want to look back at the action from this past weekend at UFC 224 and also at um, Bellator 189. I'm going to talk about that very briefly. I also want to look at the um, news from this week because there's probably a lot to talk about. I'm saying probably. There's definitely a lot to talk about, but we have all of that going on. So let me see something first. Um, give me a quick second. Again, you know, we've been crazy busy these last um, few weeks, so I definitely apologize that we haven't been doing shows as frequently as we should, but, you know, we're always here, so we definitely thank you for picking up the slack and checking us out. Always like and share our content. We really appreciate that each time that you do. So, yeah, this week I want to start off with uh, looking back. Let's look at some news from this week. I'm sorry I'm a little disjointed. I didn't get to finish the agenda but the first thing i would like to talk about there isn't a lot of huge like monumental news like no really big fight announcements from this past week uh probably the most interesting thing i saw is that um brian stan has been brought on as a uh in a leadership role for professional fighters league and you know for those of you who are even the slightest bit familiar with um, mixed martial arts, you're probably aware of who Brian Stan is. He's one of the better individuals within the sport. You know, he had a he had a pretty successful fighting career. wasn't great. Didn't jump off the page, but he had some success in the cage. Had some big fights. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of the fight against Chelsea Sonnen and um, Wadley Silva. So definitely there. So then, but you also have to look back to the the competition um, of, or not even the competition, his place as a commentator. I think that was really his best uh, contributions to the sport, for lack of a better term. You know, he was great when he was working with Fox. I mean, from a um, 
commentary standpoint, very few people can kind of touch him when it comes to being able to speak to the crowd in a way that everyone can understand those who train and those who do not train. And, and just someone who is a enjoyable personality. We look back at all the people who are in the sport now, and sometimes, you know, there's there's people that you like and people that you don't like. Well, thankfully, Stan is not one of those characters as he's um, someone that's pretty much adored across the sport. Well, as I said, you know, he was brought on as a part of um, PFL, and it was announced today. And that leadership role hasn't kind of necessarily been um, fleshed out because he's a part of the fighter and competition rules committee. And, you know, that's kind of saying a lot. It doesn't necessarily hammer down his exact role. Um, but I'm happy for this. I think he's someone that has a lot of credibility in the sport. As I mentioned, as someone who has fought, he has a, definitely someone that fighters respect. And he's someone that fans respect as well. Um, I wouldn't. I would find it. You'd be hard pressed to find someone from a fighter standpoint that didn't love uh, Brian Stan. And I'm sure that he has a lot of knowledge to bring to uh, this this conversation. So let's see. It should be interesting to see his contributions to the to the sport because I think that he's going to have a definitely have a lot to offer. But that was probably the biggest news that came out today, and I, that's what I wanted to touch upon first. And um, if you already are unaware, you know my boy Schwan is not. Here today, I'm not sure if he's doing something with one of his multiple children. You know, he um he is. I mean, Schwan is basically super dad. Dude's always doing something, always all over the place. So um, I really, you know, appreciate that dude for all he does for this network. So let's see what else can I talk about today um i mean yeah it really isn't a whole lot that was out there from a news standpoint that i really wanted to cover but i definitely wanted to look back at the fights oh my, the one other thing i wanted to talk about was news from probably earlier this week where damian myers could talking about retiring uh after the end of his current uh ufc contract and this is pretty important because i wrote about this earlier this week because maya is probably one of the when you think about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in mixed martial arts, you think about Damian Maia first. He may not be the most successful when it comes to like uh, championships and all that, but he's continued. Uh, I don't want to say he surpassed his potential. That may be the wrong way of looking at it, wrong way of saying that, but he has been someone who continues to excel. Remember, we, we we remember him getting to the um, the title fight against Anderson Silva, which happened. I think that was back in two thousand and eleven. May have been sooner, but he made it to that point, and you know he lost that fight. Then he struggled a little bit at middleweight, and when he made 
gonna cut to welterweight that's when everything really turned around for him um that's when everything really turned around and he really took off from there meaning he went on a massive one streak to get back to the title picture see something. So he's at the 17th. Yeah, to get back to the title picture. He did that. He did that successfully. Uh, and he did so. Let's see who, what, what that string of wins looked like for him. So Damian Mai made his UFC debut at UFC 77 on October 20th, on October 20th in 2007. He would go on to win five straight, lost to Nate Marquardt in 2009, beat Dan Miller, then he lost to Anderson Silva in 2010. Lost, uh, continued competing at 185 until he ran into Chris Weidman in 2012. That's when he dropped down to 170, and he would go on a, on a pretty good streak there, beating Dong Young Kim. I remember when he defeated Rick Story, it looked like he was going to squeeze his head off his shoulders. He beat John Fitch, dropped one to dropped two, actually, one to Jake Shields and one to Rory McDonald. Then would win seven straight, again, locking up a title shot against Tyron Woodley, which he would lose, and he lost to Kobe Covington late last year. He's 40 years old, and he has a 25-8 and eight record. And, I mean, when you think about Maya, you think about someone who has like he, he's contributed in a way that martial arts should really look to contribute. He, his abilities in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are considered probably amongst the best. Him, maybe Jacare, uh, Estima, who else you got? Verdun, you have so many, I mean, Gilbert Burns now, if you look at him, you have so many guys at, who are champions at, at the highest levels of grappling. For most people, the highest level is the Abu Dhabi tournament, which happens every other year, which Maya has won. I think he won it in 2007. And not all of them are fully successful when they make the transition over to mixed uh, martial arts. But... Maya has been able to do so. And he's been able to do so because just because he um, has continued to look good each and every, I mean, he, like he's been, like there's no, there's never, there aren't any complaints about uh, what he does when he goes in there to fight. And it's so interesting because not only does he go in there, everyone knows what he's going to do. Everyone knows that he's going in there with the intention of scoring a takedown and getting a submission. That's his game plan time and time again. But what's unfortunate is that people 
opponents always struggle to stop that. It's always it's it's always a simple situation where you that and that's what makes jujitsu so special. It's the fact that when it comes to high level jujitsu, you know what's coming. But you can't do anything to stop it. That is kind of that kind of solidifies Damian Maya's style and a lot of his career by itself because everyone always knew the way you stopped Damian Maya was to stop him from taking you down. If you can, if you can do that, then you have an opportunity to win this fight. I mean, you look back to the guys that defeated him. A lot of guys are able to do so by staying off their back. I mean, Nate Marquardt had that KO um, one second, excuse me, 21 second knockout back in 2009. But everything, all of his other losses came by decision. Kobe Covington stopped him from getting a takedown. Tyron Woodley stopped him from getting a takedown. Roy McDonald was a little bit of a different situation. Jake Shields kind of implemented his own grappling game. I mean, and that tells you how great of a grappler Jake Shields is. He's probably one of the guys I believe is probably most underrated when it comes to his grappling abilities in mixed martial arts. But you see him getting win after win when he's in, in a competitive grappling space against everybody not named Craig Jones. Chris Weidman stopped him from getting a takedown. Mark Munoz, same deal. Anderson Silva, same deal. But even still, with all of that knowledge and all of that um, understanding of Maya's game, so many people were unable to stop him from doing that. Guys, he would get the takedown and basically go to work. Look what he did to Carlos Condit. Look what he did to Matt Brown. I mean, Gunnar Nelson, another substantial grappling competitor with a wealth of experience, was unable to cut anything uh, against Maya. He was basically controlled the whole way through. Ryan LaFlair, another good grappler. He didn't have a shot. So, I mean, it's, it's basically well understood that Maya's going to go in there, take you down, and do the job. So listening to him talk about retirement, it's, I don't want to say it's unfortunate. That's not the right word because it's about that time. You know, guys get to that point where, yes, they uh, it is time for them to eventually retire. But Maya's skills need to be appreciated because he was able to take his almost encyclopedia-like knowledge of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, apply that to MMA, and and he got considerably better over time in his striking and in his wrestling to, to bring it all together and be successful with that. You don't see that so much anymore. Now you see guys who are coming up as a MMA competitor learning all facets of the game. You don't come in as specialist anymore. I mean, like you have like Aaron Pico who has been training everything his whole life, and you know he he wrestling was his forte, but he's been learning everything for years, well beyond his first fight. Rory McDonald, another name, you know, he's been training mixed martial arts for an extended period of time, and that's why um, he's been uh, been so successful but Maya is one of those guys who is a purist when it comes to jujitsu and seeing him get uh to the heights that he's gotten really kind of elevates Brazilian jujitsu at, at the same time it'll be interesting to see if he goes back into the competitive grappling space I doubt it 
but um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, one of his, one of my favorite Damian Maya quotes is when he talks about the fact that he's going into the fight and he's not trying to hurt his opponent. Let me. Um, He said he 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 has said a couple of things like this one here. Fighting for me is a chess game. I'm not angry with my opponent. I just want to go in there and win. And he also says something along the lines of, "Let me see something. Let's see if I can find this other quote." Can't find the other one, um, but he's definitely—he's definitely someone that I appreciate in mixed martial arts. He's a personality that that the sport has long appreciated, and if he does retire at the end of, of this deal, um, I don't blame him. But hats off to him for a successful, very successful run. So let's go back and let's look at UFC 224 and Bellator 189. I want to start with, obviously, with UFC 224 and look at um, look at some of the fights here. First and foremost, we have uh, Man- Amanda Nunez and Raquel Pennington in the main event, where where Raquel. Uh, Pennington was defeated by Amanda Nunez. Nunez getting the stop in the fifth round, and you know she was the favorite coming in, into this fight. Uh, she's been doing very well as as champion. You know she has some pretty big wins as of late. But the story around this fight is really going to be what occurred in between the fourth and fifth round. As uh, Raquel came back to the corner at the end of the fourth, she told her coaches that she was done. They said no. Uh, I'm not going to use the term talked her out of it, talked her out of it, but they you know, talked her out of it, sent her back out there for, for the fifth round. And I think she got finished within two minutes in, in the fifth round. There's been a lot of criticism thrown their way for sending her back out there. Raquel has said that she agrees with their choice and that she thanked, basically thanked them for not letting her quit. And the narrative around this is on one side, you have people that are like, hey, we have to protect fighters from themselves. We can't allow them to put themselves in danger like this when they are. I mean, we know fighters are not going to quit. Very rarely have we looked at a professional, especially in mixed martial arts, very rarely have we looked at a situation where a fighter has quit. You know, there's always the idea of, hey, something crazy may happen. Look look at Derek, Darren Elkins and um, his win. Oh, what was it, last year that came, like, moments away from losing. Look at Carlos Condit and Rory McDonald, where Carlos Condit won in, like, the last five minutes. He was definitely about to lose that fight. 
there are so many different situations where that has occurred, where it's almost difficult to say, hey, corners were justified in calling off a fight or waving off a fight. This is not like boxing. This is not like, uh, you know, well, boxing is the only one I can think of where they have those kind of stoppages. This is not where someone gets mercy ruled. But in mixed martial arts, they tend to send the person back out there to get back in, into the cage. And that is what happened with uh, Pennington here. But the question becomes, are corners supposed to protect fighters from themselves? Um, and my answer is yes to that. And I know it's difficult because people want to say, oh, you never fought. I actually have fought twice. But I, under, I, I the, that narrative, oh, you haven't fought or oh, her coaches know her better, that, that just does not sit well with me because we know in mixed martial arts, we know these guys and these women you know, are often struggling financially. We know that they're going out there with the hopes of getting paid. You know, they're, they're showing win money and putting themselves in a better financial position than they probably are. I mean, look at Pennington, you know, she just, she almost had her leg amputated last year. She's been in, I think, two very serious accidents. She was almost paralyzed at one point in time. She's been through hell. And to listen to her talk about the way her nose was broken, the way her leg was battered going, in, going early in that fight, you have to wonder if it was the best decision to send her back out there. Even after when she got taken down, and you knew she wasn't going to get back up. As soon as she got taken down in that fifth round, you knew it was over. And you knew it was just a matter of time before... Um, before something went down. Like, you knew... I knew she was not getting back up there. But they they still did the um they still let her out there and didn't stop the fight. I don't think that they should be reprimanded or anything. They should be punished. You know, like let's go ahead and take that terminology out there. But we should definitely look at some type of training, some type of, hey, in situations like this, this is how we have to respond. Because these fighters are, are being put in very dangerous positions, and this was definitely one that no one wanted to see. This is one that no one wanted to be a, a part of, and it's um, unfortunate that it occurred. I understand that Pennington has her stance that, hey, she's okay with what happened. Tisha Torres kind of said, said, said the same thing as her fiancé, and it's just, it was a difficult situation for me to watch. Uh, it's just it was just not a good look to me. Looking forward for this division, though, the bantamweight group. You know, you have to wonder if it's if it's barren, for lack of a better term. We often talk about men's flyweight as a division that doesn't really have any contenders. Women's bantamweight is in a tough spot as well too because I was just looking over the rankings saying I was like well the only name that jumps off of this list you know there's a couple of names that kind of stand out obviously you have Nunez as a champion you have Holly Holm at one I don't think Holmes fought Nunez but you have Holly Holm at one I'm not sure how she's still sitting at number one Caitlin Vieira 
Juliana Pena, Pennington's dropped down. Jermaine Aronami is still up there. She has, she, I don't even know, if she's still even in the UFC. We have Cassie Gondolin and Mary Renault. They have a fight coming up. If Cassie Gondolin gets the win, even though she's been struggling as of late, I could see the UFC going that route. Or, I mean, if, uh, actually, no, if I, if, I'm looking at Kelly Vieira as, as being tapped as the next contender. But I think they're going to go, I mean, it's clear that, that they're going to go with uh, Nunez versus Cyborg next. That's where I believe we're headed headed after this win. But just looking at the bantamweight division, I would have to put Vieira as the next uh, contender there, followed by, interesting enough, Marion Renault. I think she um, is on a tear. She looked good in her win over Sarah, Sarah McMahon recently. So uh, and I think she's someone that's making some noise. So I would like to see what she does next because I just think that she has some viability as a contender. Though I think that she'll beat. Uh, do I think that she'll beat uh, Nunez? No, but I still think she's a an, an interesting enough name that could be built up um, and put on the right card to face her. Uh, let's see who else. And that's really it where when I look at that weight class, I look at that division, I just don't think that it, it's a strong enough group. And I'm, I'm interested in seeing what happens next. You know, the flyweight division has kind of come around and, and it hasn't necessarily, it hasn't cannibalized the bantamweight division, but I think that the bantamweight division was in trouble to begin with. Uh, there weren't, there wasn't, just wasn't a lot of depth there. And we're really kind of seeing that now. It'll be interesting to see who they pull up next and say who's the next contender. But uh, it'll be a story worth moving forward because that division does need some help. And I think it's becoming more clear uh, through and through. And Kelvin Gastelum, he got a big win in the co-main event where he defeated uh, Jacare via split decision. I know it was a very close fight. I saw a lot of people had it for... Um, had it for Jacare. Some people had it for uh, Gastelum. Um, I could go either way on this fight. I thought Gastelum won it. And what was interesting is a lot of people are saying that they picked him or they're not surprised that judges picked him because uh, Jacare looked defeated when the fight was over. And, and it's funny because you often hear coaches tell a fighter as soon as, as the decision is over to throw their hands up in the air and make it think like make it look like they won because they could still sway uh, some last minute decision makers on in the judges' seats. And while you never want to see that, I, this is a situation where you I can understand that it occurred. Jacare did look defeated. He looked like he was upset with himself that maybe he didn't perform as well as as he wanted to. So it's understandable to say, hey, maybe the judges saw his body language and were like, okay, he feels defeated. So that means he was defeated. But it was a big win for Gastelum. There's an interesting piece on Surdog by Jason Burgos, and they're comparing Gastelum to Frankie Edgar. And that is a pretty good way of looking at it. 
because I feel like he's someone who I think he's won one clean win away from a title shot. Because let's see, right now he is sitting. He's sitting number four behind Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman. Yoel Romero is the interim champion, or is he at? Oh, he's the interim champion because Robert Whitaker is still the champion, I believe. I don't know what the hell's going on with the the, the title picture in the middleweight division, whatever it may be. But Luke Rockhold is two. Chris Weidman, who has defeated Kelvin Gastelum, is three. And then there's um, Gastelum. Weidman hasn't fought since July, since Gastelum's, uh, since beating uh, Gastelum. Rockhold last appeared where he fought Joel Romero and lost that fight. Whitaker and Romero are scheduled to fight in the next couple weeks. I do believe that Gastelum could be slated in to face the winner of that because Rockhold and Weidman both have lost recently enough that and they both lost to Romero that they can kind of be taken off as a I don't want to say an old contender but a a contender that no one wants to see in the title picture now. And, and the UFC Lewis seems to be make, handling their matchmaking in a way to create new contenders instead of just rehashing some of the old lot. Right now, Wyman and Rocco are part of that old lot, and Gastelum is not. So I can see a world that we live in where Gastelum faces either Romero or Whitaker before the end of this year. Could he be slated in one more fight? Yeah, but the only fight that makes sense to me from in a ranking standpoint, I mean, let's look at it. Rocco has, he just fought, he just lost to Romero. He probably won't be interested in a Gastelum fight. Wyman's already defeated Gastelum his last fight. He probably won't want to fight him again. Then there's Jacare at five. Bisbing's talking retirement at six. Gastelum's already beaten him. Derek Brunson, I mean, that's not a big fight for um That's not a big fight in any uh shape or form. Then you have um, David Branch at eight, Leona Machida at nine, Brad Tavares at ten. So it would be interesting. Now, the only hmm. let's say Brad Tavares defeats Israel at Asanya. I could be interested. I could be swayed into a fight between Tavares and Gastelum. Um, but that's really it. Outside of that, I can't see any other fight other than a title fight for the Ultimate Fighter winner alumni in the, the near future. And I think that that injuries aside could happen at some point in time this year, which is huge because Gastelum's someone who continues to excel. And I wrote about this on the site this week. He's someone that the UFC has properly built up as a prospect because he struggled early. He struggled early, but um, he's continued to develop even after his losses. So I think that that's uh, a, a stellar example of prospect development within the UFC. On the flip side of that coin, we have Mackenzie Dern. And where 
you know, the story about what happened with Dern is, you know, well, you know, well documented. With um, her missing weight by seven pounds on Friday, weighing in at 123. You know, um, what do we do with this? Because she was not, I mean, she's eight, actually eight pounds over the weight class, seven pounds over the 116 pound allotment. So what do we do with this? You, man, first let's talk about the fight first. So she got a first round finish over, um, over Amanda Bobby Cooper, dropping her in the first round and finishing with a rear naked choke. Gets the win. Now the controversial part of it. Dominic Cruz probably had the most interesting analysis when he said that you have to wonder if this was done on purpose. Everyone knows that Mackenzie Dern is a grappler first. You know, you know, we talk about Damian Maya being someone whose game you know is what you know what is going to come. Dern's the same way. She gets a takedown, she hits some with the shirt. Submission game is amongst the best in women's uh, mixed martial arts. I will gladly say that. Gladly. But you have to wonder about a few things here. First, there was a story of her being kicked out of, well, excuse me, she was invited to leave uh, MMA Lab uh, and Coach John Crouch. My, I, what I've always said about jujitsu is if you ever get invited to leave from a jujitsu gym, you're getting kicked out. That was my response to this. I've been a part of some big gyms. Um, I'm training at a great gym in DC now. I've been here, I've been there probably six years now, a part of that, part of that gym for uh, six years now, where I actually teach there now too. I've seen a lot of people be invited to leave, and usually that's involuntary. When you get invited to leave from somewhere, that means you're getting your ass kicked out. Wow, Kyle Snyder is losing at uh, Beat the Streets, and that does not surprise me. But anyway, I mean, he just threw the dude. Wow. But, um, wow. Anyway, In my opinion, Dern got kicked out of the gym. I'll just go ahead and say that. So seeing her come in, she came, and when she flew into Brazil, she was at 139. She was at some ridiculous weight. Higher than definitely what she should have been. So to hear that she couldn't miss weight didn't surprise me. Uh, supposedly, she was unable to try, and she just wasn't... Um, she didn't look sucked in. She looked, didn't look anything like that. She just looked real complacent when she stepped on the scale. So she goes in and she wins the fight. I already threw the controversy out there. I would not be, because you haven't really heard too much from the UFC. Usually in situations like this, someone, Dana White, someone like that, 
is down to throw somebody under the bus. You didn't really hear that with Dern. We are well aware, you know, that they want her to be someone who becomes like a big, big name for them. She can draw them. She fits right into the male demographic of the type of female fighters they like to promote. She has the backing of the uh, Brazilian audience that everyone supported her, even though she was grossly overweight for the weight class. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of backlash. There wasn't as much backlash as you saw with someone like Anthony Johnson or Kevin Lee or, or other figures who have failed to make weight uh, in in fights. But what's even more interesting, you know, if you look at the UFC rankings today, she was slotted in at number 15, bumping out Angela Hill out of the rankings. And if you follow Angela on um, Twitter, she's been calling for a fight with, with Dern. She's been calling for any fight, to be honest, and she has not been booked. Dern has fought twice since Angela Hill's last fight, which was a win. And it's interesting. It's, it's, that's an interesting story to watch. I'm not saying something big will come of it, but... I wonder why the UFC has not booked Angela Hill. She's someone who can... She definitely draws an audience. Well, not, I'm not going to say draws an audience. She has the potential to. You know, she has a following uh, within video games, just like Demetrius Johnson. She is one of the few African-American women on the roster. I think there's only like two or three. There's Sarah Eubanks, um, the other bantamweight fighter, the, the real short black lady, the one that's a cop. And then I think that that's her. So that's three. So I, we have to wonder why they won't really book Hill. But we understand what they're trying to do with Dern. I understand they're trying to build her into someone who is a big-time star. And I get that. But I think she got let off the hook easy for what she did here. It was very unprofessional of her to miss weight by such a large amount. And it's just sad. that this whole situation um, occurred. I think that she really needs to continue to develop as a fighter if she's going to go on any type of run within the within the division. Because she's in a bad spot right now because She's in a very bad position now because she's being slotted, <coughs> excuse me, slotted at position 15 in the division. So now she has, she can only fight women that are ranked higher than her. Maybe they can book that um, fight against Angela Hill as something that's, that's next for her and, and keep the, uh, keep her out of fighting, out of uh, fighting a top ranked opponent, but Angela Hill can beat her. If she cannot, if she can um, avoid that takedown, but they have to really be careful with the development of these young prospects. That I take Israel Adesanya. Oh wow, Kyle Snyder came back for the win, but he was down eight-two at one point. Wow. But if Israel Adesanya loses to Brad Tavares, you know that's an opportunity for them to kind of take him back to the. Um, to the shop and rebuild him. But if he wins, Tavares is ranked number 10 in the division. He can't go backwards from there. Uh, Adesanya, that is. With Dern there in a similar situation where if she defeats someone 
in a higher position. They can't go backwards with her, but she can't be put in there with the likes of Tisha Torres, Jessica Andrade. She can't be put in there with, yeah, she can't face those girls. Like if right now, looking at the top 15 in women's strawweight, you have during that 15, Nina Ansaroff, Joanne Calderwood, Tatiana Suarez, Ronda Marcos, Courtney Casey, Alexa Grasso, Felice Herrick, Michelle Watterson, Carla Esparza, Tisha Torres, Carolina Kowalskowitz, Claudia Gadelia, Jessica Andrade, Joanna Yunjacek, and then Rose. Michelle Watterson, I think that Jordan can beat because she's so much bigger than her. Maybe Ronda Marcos, Nina Ansaroff, but anyone else on that list, I don't think she can. She needs to be dealing with right now. So it'll be interesting to see what the UFC does with her because they're, they've painted themselves, booked themselves into a corner. As we say in the world of uh, professional wrestling, they book themselves in a true corner. So what else I wanted to talk about today? There's a couple other names from um, USC 224 I want to talk about. John Lineker, man, he just keeps beating people up as he got a big win by finishing, what was the guy's name? He finished Brian Kelleher with uh, a punch to the body in the third round. I mean, Lineker, that's what is he ranked right now at Bantamweight? I was just looking at it. Where the hell did it go? Okay, so at Bantamweight, he's ranked number six. And I think that they, I mean, I don't think, oof, oof. I mean, who do you have from the fight? You have Rafael Sunsao. Who has he fought? I, I know his last loss was against TJ. Yeah, but I mean, he's beaten John Dotson, Michael McDonald. He beat Marlon Vera, Brian Kelleher. I mean, you can do a lot with this guy right now. You can give him Marlon Morales, who has a fight coming up. Jimmy Rivera, they're fighting it out. You have Rafael Sunsa, who doesn't have a fight coming up. He can, he can face the returning Dominic Cruz. And he's ready to come back. So, like, there's a lot of options there. But, you know, he's still doing his damn thing, putting guys out and getting them out the way. Leona Machida and Vitor Belfort. You know, Machida effectively retired Belfort with that front kick to the face. Crumbling him. Uh, Belfort retired. And I think that, you know, he... Issues with failed drug tests aside, I think that he is someone that deserves a lot of recognition and respect for his contributions to the sport. I think he, I think he gets that. You know, people always talk about his highlight reel knockouts. I mean, the, I'm thinking of the runs of Rockhold, knocking out Bisbing, Wanda Silva. I think he beat Dan Henderson recently again. So, so many guys that he's finished and gotten out of there that, you know, he definitely deserves some respect for his contributions to the game. And I think he'll always get that, uh, but he definitely retired. You got Machida getting another win, second win in a row. You got, there isn't so much you can do with him because he, I don't know how high his ceiling still is right now. I would have rather him been placed against Brad Tavares instead of uh, Adesanya, but at middleweight, you could do... I mean, we already seen the Derek Brunson fight. Maybe Michael Bisping and give that Bisping's uh, retirement fight. Maybe Sosa in the future. I don't know. But, I mean, there's only so far that uh, – or maybe you give him Antonio Carlos Jr. or maybe Thiago Santos, someone that's coming from the bottom up, trying to push their way through. 
How the hell is Elias Theodore ranked at middleweight? Anyway, anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about from UFC 224 because we also have Bellator 199 that occurred. And the two, well, there's three probably big things I wanted to take from this fight. Aaron Pico picked up another big win. Uh, he also finished with body shots. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm just enjoying the growth and development of Pico. I think he's being brought along the right way, so he picked up a big win. Ryan Bader, well, John Fitch rode out, um, rode out, uh, Paul Daly. There's even one point where Paul Daly was booing during a fight, and it's like, uh, booing what? Booing himself? Booing the, um, Going the way Fitch was fighting, whatever it may have been, but he definitely um he definitely lost the the like John Fitch basically won the same old John Fitch way. Then we have Ryan Bader finishing Muhammad Lawal King Mo, I think in like 15 seconds to advance to the uh, next round of the heavyweight Grand Prix. I believe he faces Matt Mitrione next. And as I've always said, this tournament does not interest me. I understand, you know, it's heavyweights. It's what people, you know, are excited about seeing. But in my opinion, it's going to be funny because the finals, my prediction, will be a blown-up middleweight in Cho Sonnen facing a light heavyweight champion in Ryan Bader. I think he's going to beat Matt, Matt Mitrione. That is a fight that's, you know... A little more interesting to me than most. Chell Sonnen, I think he's going to talk his way into a good fight with Fedor. I'm pretty interested about that. Uh, we also saw that Chuck Wendell's will be coming back to Mixed Martial Arts. So there's that. Don't be surprised if he ends up back and if he ends up in, in Bellator fighting against Chell Sonnen at some point in time in the future. It's nothing I want to see, but do not be surprised if, if that happens. So, um, But yeah, Bader picked up a win. Now he's facing Mitrione in the future at the next round and um he'll be facing the winner or the winner of that will face the winner of sun in versus versus fedor so we'll see what happens with this grand prix but it just has not lived up to the hype though i never had any hype for it i remember when uh luke thomas gave me shit for not being hyped about it and um Yeah, I mean, I think that the event has basically proved itself why no one should be hyped about heavyweight mixed martial arts in just about any shape or form if it's not Stipe uh, Milches. So let me see what else I have to talk about for this week. Uh, that's it. Um, we've gone for about 45 minutes. Talked about a lot here, re uh, recapping a lot of things that went on last week, and there wasn't a lot of news from this week. If you're not doing anything, be sure to watch beat the streets um you can probably catch the stream on uh flow wrestling um you can definitely go back and watch there but the main event's about to start so i'm definitely going to sit down here and enjoy me some high level wrestling but as always you can follow me at r garcia sports you can catch all my ramblings about mma professional wrestling football basketball the playoffs going on um, hockey with, with the capitals itching closer to the finals i may have to watch that 
and just about everything going on in the world today. Follow Schwan Humes, my co-host, who was unable to join us today at Black Jordan Breen. Follow Michael Ford, our fearless leader at uh, MTF3, and Adam Martin at I think Adam Martin at at was it MMA Adam Martin? I think that's his um, Twitter name. You can catch him there. Follow MMA Ratings Net. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter. Go over to MMARatings.net to rate the fights and let everyone know how you feel about the action you see and how excited you are about fights coming up. And overall, just um, thank you for your time. Like and share our content from YouTube, this podcast here. Subscribe to catch all of our work on a weekly basis. And as always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show. Thank you all and have a great Thursday and have an even better weekend, everybody. See you guys.